Welcome one and all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes, as we, perhaps surprisingly, return again to churn our way through with more warm collective memories of classic television. On today's programme, because we barely scratched the surface last time we talked about it, Sandy and I will be continuing our look at the strange world of remakes and reimaginings, and hopefully diving ever deeper into those TV shows that, perhaps surprisingly, turned up again in a completely different form, or simply chose to evolve, maybe on occasions not for the better. So without any further delay, let's board Fab Radio's very own TARDIS and head off into the past once again. Whatever happened to the likely lads was Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet's sequel to their 1960s sitcom, The Likely Lads, which was broadcast in black and white on the BBC, and starred James Bolam as Terry Collier, Rodney Bewes as Bob Ferris, and Bridget Forsyth as Thelma Dearest, or rather Thelma Chambers. This was made in full colour and was broadcast uh, in 1973 and 1974 with an extra Christmas special at the end of 1974 in which Bob had had his hair cut off and grown a beard. Basically, uh, you got 27 episodes, so two series of 13 plus the special, and it was it was kind of it, it was an interesting revisit of, a, of an old idea because uh, the 60s series ended with James Bolam accidentally. It seemed, well, they were both going to join the army, and for some reason, Rodney Bewes persuaded James Bolam to to join the army, and then was ruled out because of a medical condition. So J- James Bolam's character spends five years in the army, gets married while he's away, and then basically has this homecoming to a to a very a different Newcastle to the one that they had spent time in in the 60s. The 60s series was basically about two lads out on the pole having a good time and um, he comes back and his best mate is getting married so there's a lot of preparation for the wedding. The world has changed and basically Terry hasn't changed. Uh, it's a very it's a very bleak, not, not bleak, no it's a very poignant look at the differences because uh, Bob has now become aspirational, he's become sort of middle management, he wears the well, the ridiculous but what you might call aspirational suits, he has the nice car, he has the nice house on the nice housing estate and uh, his fiancée Thelma is very much the, the aspirational young woman of the early 1970s. And then back into this comes Terry who really really doesn't want the world to have changed and a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the poignant moments come from the demolition that you see the demolition going on of old Tyneside and um, yeah it, it can be quite don't get me wrong there are there are great moments of humor I mean there are there are classic I mean real classic sitcom episodes I mean I think pretty much everyone remembers the one where they're desperately trying not to find out what the football score is. I mean, that's the one that gets played a lot. But there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of bittersweet comedy going on. And of course, there's a lot of class war stuff. Terry definitely, you know, thinks of himself as, as working class. And Bob has become aspirational middle class and maybe seen as a bit of a class traitor. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting show. 
The original black and white series ran for three series. Uh, there were already 20 episodes across the three years. It ran from uh, 64 to 66. So there's a, there's a, good, there's a good sort of seven-year gap before Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet revisit their show. And it's a very different take on the very same idea. You know, I think it is it's a very good example of a sitcom or a television idea reinventing itself and having the same creative team recreating what they'd done in the past and yet making it in many ways sharper, slicker. And I mean, I, you know, the Lightly Lads series is, is enjoyable, but it's very much a 60s sitcom. Whatever happened to the Lightly Lads is a much more sophisticated beast. You can see the development, the maturity of the writers as they've moved on, as they've got older, to write these new episodes. And quite frankly, I, I genuinely think that whatever happened to the Lightly Lads is something of a classic. It's only a shame, I think, that we never got a third sort of bite of that particular cherry for whatever reasons. There was allegedly a falling out, although people deny that. I would I would love to have seen a series of them both in middle age and where their lives had taken them because I, I think that would have been a fascinating show. Anyway, there we go. That's uh, whatever happened to the Likely Lads. Uh, sometimes, despite all your best laid plans, things don't work out quite the way you want them to. For various reasons, the programme we were going to do this week about dystopias isn't quite ready. There are a few other parts of the jigsaw that need to come together. So, instead we're going to uh, invite Sandy back and uh, <laughs> and we're going to continue where we left off, more or less, where we left off last week, uh, talking about uh, remakes and revisitations. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> Sandy and I did talk about what happened to the Lightly Lads, so um, without further ado, let's go back to Manchesterford. Meanwhile, there we go, back in Manchesterford. Once again, I've got Sandy McGregor in the studio with me to carry on where we left off, uh, talking about... <laughs> I've got more to talk about. <laughs> remakes and reimaginings. Thank you. Talking about re remakes and reimaginings. So because because we now all know that the role of a companion is basically to say, what's happening? Here's Sunday. What's happening, Martin? Well, well, that's a very good question. I wish I knew. Um, anyway, hi. Welcome back. Thank you. Maybe, maybe the listener, the dear listener, if we have one, uh, might have preferred it in your Calamero voice, you know. Oh, the injustice. That's the one. Thank you have, very have much. You have you checked that one out on YouTube yet? <laughs> I've not been there yet. It's been a funny week. And, and Wikipedia and all sorts of... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to find it. Places, gonna... places you can research it. We will, I'll see if I can find it. I may even play it in, you know, <laughs> if I can find it. What people in this world? Ah, yes, they take advantage because they're big and I'm little. What's an injustice it is. That was this week's Random, random Line random, of Dialogue. Anyway, you know, it's interesting to me. When they first when we first pitched this show Yeah. <laughs> I said there's no way I could there's no way I can fill two hours talking about <laughs> anything at all. <laughs> and here we are. We ran out of time last week, so um so what do we do? Um um Last week we covered Mission Impossible, briefly touched on Star Trek. Yeah. There's probably lots more to say about Star Trek, but I might do that 
when you're not in the studio and just yeah. and, and copy that in, seeing a detective and movies based on sitcoms. Uh, I played in, at the beginning of the episode, Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads? Oh, fantastic. And I did wonder whether that was one of your favourites. Absolutely. I'm a fan of The Likely Lads and Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads. Did you, uh, I suppose you're not, I mean, you would have probably grown up, it's the era when uh, Whatever Happened to yes, was on. Yes, that's, that's my era. So I had heard of The Likely Lads mm. from my parents. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm born in 62, so the original series... You'd be a bit young, weren't you? Yeah. I was a bit young for that. You might have been on and you might have been aware, but... Uh, yes, but, uh, mm. you know, the... Uh, the actual whatever happened to the Likely Lads mm. came back, uh, was it about 74, around about that? Uh, 72, I think, so 72, yeah. you'd have been about yeah, 10, 10, 10, 10 years old, old which is a perfect time, again, for it something is. to seep into your imagination. Yeah, and it, it, it was just, uh, you know, I can remember the the first of the comeback episodes where the mm. two of them meet on the train. Yes. And uh, I just, yeah, I loved it at the time. And I have watched episodes again mm-hmm. since then. And... Yeah, it's just really, really well observed comedy. Mm. Really, kind of well, well developed characters. Yes. Well, I had uh, I had the novelisation of it for years. I still got it somewhere. And what ha- hadn't actually realised is that it really, literally, does pick up the the last episode of the Lightly Lads is what happens that he goes in the army and yeah. and and Bob yes. either do- flat feet, isn't it? He, he doesn't yes. get in because of flat feet yeah. and. Uh, uh, so, in terms of a series reimagining itself, I think whatever happened to, in terms of comedy, is possibly one of the, the absolute high points because you, know, you move into colour, you move into this this kind of post sixties demolition of Tyneside generally. Yes, it has a, a kind of wistfulness about it, you know. Yeah. And obviously Thelma is there as an ad- additional sort of element in, oh, in she, the storyline. She's lines. a fantastic character, you yeah. know. She stalked us for a while, you know. Did she? It's one of those weird things. It's not Bridget Forsythe's fault. I mean, just we happened to go to the theatre a lot for a few years and yeah. every single time Bridget Forsythe were there and we did start to wonder whether it was us or whether it was her, but a uh, yeah, fabulous mean, actress. Yeah, I mean, I've seen her in things at the, the library. She mm. used to do quite a lot at the library. That's right. And uh, the Royal Exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't see Bridget Forsythe Without thinking, Thelma. She's Thelma. <laughs> she, she is. You know, I would, Thelma I would, dearest. I would, I would always be disappointed <laughs> if she was like, uh, you know, a nice, pleasant yeah. person. But yeah. Do you remember who played her dad? Uh, it's got to be it's Peter Vaughan, usually, isn't it? No, like, it's not Peter Vaughan. No? It's Bill Owen, just before he Bill was Compo. Oh, wow. Yeah, the philandering dad who gets caught in the uh, in the uh, hotel yeah. and mm-hmm. they go on, go away together. There's yeah. also something fascinating generally about um, Bob's hair, I think. Yes. It's a, it's a fascinating thing about, about, about whatever happened to the Light Lads is that, because uh, it's that 70s, I mean, there, isn't there, didn't, don't they go to a hairdresser's in one episode and it's oh. all a bit... Um, Possibly. And, Possibly. and, and uh, Terry just can't get this whole unisex or whatever it is and, 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 and Bob's having yes. it all floofed up and everything. My hair at the moment is, is uh, kind of going in that, that direction that, that myself. Yourself there, Martin. At the moment, yeah. yeah. I seem to have avoided going for a haircut for a very long time <laughs> and it's, it's, it's starting to catch up with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nightmare with these headphones, I'll tell you. But, uh, so you've got, you've got James Bolam, brilliant yeah. actor. Yes. Brilliant actor. You've got uh, Rodney Bewes, who, I don't know, he, what would, because Rodney Bewes didn't do a lot Really, did he? Apart from, I mean, I know no. he did other sitcoms, yeah, and I know he, he was a, he was a big stage actor, yeah, 
But um, he did, uh, what was it, the three men in a boat? Yes, he used yeah. to turn up with his one-man version of that one in Edinburgh mm. regularly at mm. the, uh, the assembly rooms, mm. and it, it used to pack him in. Mm. But and his I, career I, didn't sort of take off in quite the same way, no, did it? not as, as James Bolam, because, mm. yeah, I mean, James Bolam did get a heavy, serious drama. Uh, when the Boat. When the Boat. All right. And, of course, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, his Beidebeck affair, yes. Beidebeck trilogy. Yeah, and then his, of course his, uh, his, his low point, which might have been Andy Cap. <laughs> Andy Cap, yeah. A live action version of Andy Cap. It, it's it's kind of kind of disturbing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't look at that, and yeah, you just think this isn't funny. <laughs> were you a fa- were you a fan of the, the Mirror, the Smythe cartoons? Not really. No, I uh, have I have some volumes of uh, Reg Smythe Andy mm. Cap books, and the the I remember very clearly that the the first page yeah there's a four panel joke mm-hmm. and i didn't get it i didn't get yeah. it i mean I, mm-hmm. someone gave me the book because it, yeah. it was just cartoons and i was a kid yeah. and they just said oh cartoon book here as they <laughs> do and i had sort of this andy cap uh, collection and i looked at the first one and i genuinely didn't get it and it was actually i remember very clearly a few years later when suddenly i got the joke yeah and it was and it was basically you'll hate yourself in the morning I'll sleep till noon. Mm. And it's very funny. Yeah. But when I was 10, it was like, what? Oh, yeah. I hate yourself in the morning. It's not... God, I'm dim sometimes. There is actually... When we're talking of reinventions and reimaginings, there is actually a stage show musical based on Andy Cap. Mm. Is that the one with Tom Court? Tom Courtney did? Tom Courtney, yes. And the the music. Wow. There's a narrator, and it was Alan Price. No. Crikey. I think it was on at the the Royal Exchange or something like that. Is it a bit of a tour, or was it a unique? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how how widely travelled it was. I have yeah. been I have been involved in a a production of it. So oh, okay. I think that is some light and was that in any way related to the TV version? No, at all? I don't think, I think it's uh, just no, another yeah another go at it. So yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm not sure how well Andy Cap has. Well, it obviously never came back. It's amazing how many actors can have these. Uh, shows that just sort of don't feature anywhere. Uh, we were talking uh, yesterday about something called Happy Families, which Ben Elton wrote, right, which yeah. is Jennifer Saunders, Dawn French, and it's never had a DVD release that anybody seems no. to remember. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of fallen off the radar for completely yeah. for people. It's kind of weird how a show, I mean, presumably promoted like any other show at yeah. the time, mm-hmm. just doesn't click, you know? No. I'm still trying to remember the name of that one, uh, and I should remember it, uh, and I'll, I'll record it in later. It's uh, the way the guy's going around the world on a big ball. Never mind. Wow. Yeah. Comedy? Yeah, yeah comedy show, but... Uh, right. well, Lame Ducks. Lame Ducks. Lame Ducks 2 series, and, yeah. uh, and one, one of the men had an ambition to go around the world on a great big... Walking on a big... He was a ball walker, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's one of those shows that, again, never seems to turn up, never gets released. You know, yeah. Tell you what, Network are good for that sort of thing. Other yeah. DVD companies are available. <laughs> but uh, they release all sorts of strange and bewildering stuff. And I imagine that'll be one of the ones that uh, turns up eventually. But that's one to look out for. But going back to Jimmy Boldham, of course, he also did about 10 years on the detective thing. Which the name is also escaping me. New Tricks. Old dogs, New oh, Tricks. Right. New Tricks, yes. yeah, there we go. Yeah, he turned up in New Tricks for about 10 years. Yeah. So, But the interesting thing, again, is that they fell out, didn't they? Well, yeah. Him and Bob. Yeah, they, they wouldn't speak to each other. And it's all to do with making the film. 
Is it? Yeah, it's all to do with making the film because uh, it it was to do with the fact that uh, Rodney Bewes uh, mentioned in the press that his wife, that James Bolton's wife, was pregnant at the time, and apparently it. he he he. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a good thing, and they never yeah. spoke again. Of course, uh, we've lost Rodney Bewes now, yeah. uh, yeah. so they never will. And his, his wife being Susan Jameson. Soon as Susan Jameson. When the book comes in, mm. and indeed new tricks. Although she was married to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Susan Jameson, a fabulous actress. Actually, she was uh, strangely and famously dropped from a Doctor Who episode for being too kinky. That's uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, not dwell. <laughs> Is, is that one to Google? Is it? Uh, no, not really. It's just it's just one of those stories that uh, they they it, you know how the seventies is. The se- I, I, I lived through the seventies. Yes, precisely. All of it. But you know how retrospectively the seventies is not the most open-minded of uh, eras. No. In terms of yeah. uh, gender roles and race roles and everything like that. But uh, yeah, she was she was cast as a. Um, I, well, a villain in a Doctor Who, yeah. and uh, they decided that uh, having her turn up in black leather was a bit much for the kiddies, so they right. recast it as a man, and, uh, and and Susan said goodbye. And I don't think right. she ever actually... I'm not sure she ever got into a Doctor Who after that. No. Maybe, maybe she said, yeah. I'm not right, that's it, you don't want me? Forget it, I'm not coming back. But, uh, Quite rightly so. But, uh, or may, maybe Jimmy had a row. <laughs> said, right, that's it, you're not going back there, lass. I don't know. Where was James Bolton from? Was he was he northeast? Oh, he must be. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, because uh, but I mean, Biderbeck is lovely. Actually, to be fair, Biderbeck is a lovely show. Alan Plater. Yes. And uh, one of the finest television actors, I think. Fine. So uh, we've covered, however briefly, whatever happens in Lightnerds. Have you got any more uh, reimaginings that you that popped into your head this week? Oh. Because you know, the thing we, we can say here quite safely is we're not. We're just. We haven't just <laughs> chopped it in half. We didn't just carry on. And, oh no, we're back. <laughs> Tell you what's interesting though. The interesting thing is there are so many other TV shows that you may have forgotten were remade. Yeah. So the Sweeney. The Sweeney is, yeah. is a remake of Re- Regan, which well, it's not a remake; yeah. it's an it's an expansion. Yeah. It, it was done as a, pl- a one-off TV play, and then they made the Sweeney series based on. But then along comes that film in about twenty twenty twelve or something, right. with uh, the the bloke who does the football um, pools bit in the in the intervals, Ray, Ray Winston. Ray yeah, Ray Winston. Winston. Yeah, he's 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 Regan, right? right. Bit bit of a rough diamond. So so you know that you forget is. Is a is a remake of of, of, a, of a TV show. Of course, the Avengers movie. I think we touched on the Avengers movie yes. last week. We did, yeah, yeah. But then you get Charlie's Angels and Bilko, yeah. as we talked about as well. And the Man from Uncle, the Man from Uncle gets reinvented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's one of those ones where, about ten years after the show ends, someone decides to do a TV movie version. So you get Return of the Man from Uncle with the original yeah. cast, and and that features a guest appearance by uh, George Lazenby. Playing a certain person known as JB, so it's, it's, it's George Lazenby's <laughs> other, <coughs> not James Bond, um, uh, appearance. Yeah. You know, because uh, he appears with um, Diana Rigg, the late right. great Diana Rigg, in yeah. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, she's one of the finest films ever made in the history of cinema, right. of course. Uh, but then you get things that are remakes of themselves, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
which Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a radio series, becomes a television series, then waits forever and actually has the author die halfway through before it finally becomes the Hitchhiker movie, yeah. which somehow manages to miss out all the best lines of the TV <laughs> series. But there you go. You get remakes of dramas, Edge of Darkness gets made as a Mel Gibson film. Yep. You know? Remember Edge of Darkness at all? Yes. Uh, Bob Peck. Bob Peck. Bob Peck in the original, yeah. What did you think of that? Oh, yeah, I watched that fear, well, say it fairly recently, I mean, within the last ten years. <laughs> last <what>. decade? Yes, certainly. <laughs> There's <laughs> so much to watch, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. The definition of what is recent. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought that had aged quite well. Mm. People, uh, it's one of those things, we were watching it uh, for one of my other projects a few weeks ago, and it's it's one of those things that people remember the one scene, mm. the one scene with the, where he brings the two pieces of plutonium together. Yeah. And when, actually, it's one of those things that, that you get false memories. But I thought that's where it finished. Mm-hmm. In my head, that yes. was where it finishes. That's that's the end of the story. And of course, it's nothing. Then, you, then yeah. suddenly you see them, you go back to the same room where this has happened, and you think, oh. Oh, they're still there, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's one of those shows. It, it's kind of it's fa- it's fallen off a lot of people's radar, you know, despite the remake. Yeah, you know? and of course, again, it's one of those peculiarly British series that gets made by Hollywood, a bit like State of Play. They did the same with State of Play, right. and things like um, In the Loop gets made. Although I don't yeah. think that was actually made in Hollywood, no. but that's a kind of remake, sort of of the thick of it, you know. And then there are, there, are, there are shows that you'd, I think, yeah. you may have forgotten they made movies of, like the A-Team. You remember the A-Team movie? No. Nope. No, nope. the nope. A-Team movie. No. Um, yeah, that, they, they, made, they made a Callan movie. Though the Callan movie, to be fair, was, uh, it was a remake of the original uh, armchair theatre yeah. uh, done as a film. It was pretty much the same setup. Yeah. So uh, which at that stage <laughs> would have been sort of lost. Yeah. A fan of Callan? Yes, or oh, like Callan. Mm-hmm. Very good, and Russell Lonely Hunter, indeed, the man, the man who you know he became Russell brackets, or sorry, inverted commas, Lonely Hunter, the number of times you saw him uh, referred to. Uh, we're going to break off there because that mention of Russell Hunter reminds me that um, I did a telephone interview. So apologies for the line quality. I did a telephone interview with uh, Warren. Warren is the jolly decent chap who did the Diana Rigg tribute for us a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I just really wanted to uh, have a chat with him about his uh, earliest memories of of television. So uh, while we were in the studio, we had a bit of a chat. So um, here's our interview with Warren. Hello, Warren. What's happening, Martin? I'm about to ask you a little bit, because me and Sandy have been talking about uh, things like old TV and what have you. I'm going to ask you a little bit about your your earliest memories. (laughs) We'll take you back to that, that, that not quite in utero. (laughs) But uh, so you say you you were telling me you you were born in 1970. Yes, we were just going over to colour. I can't remember when we got. I think we got seventy-eight. We got a colour set. Right. So, uh, so you, so you were conscious of television by by being eight years old. Can you remember anything before that? Oh yeah, my first TV memory um, scared the hell out of me. Oh right. Okay. Um, Did it fall on you? 
<laughs> yeah, from a great height. I remember looking at a huge box. I must, I cannot remember. I might have been three or four years old, and Joyce Grenville was on telly. Oh, crikey. And she was doing it as if she was addressing the audience. Right. Um, it, it was a kids' program, and I can't remember what channel, where, and when. Mm. And she was looking straight down the camera, and I was terrified. Warren, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, she she used to do these uh, monologues as a as a school teacher and address the uh, the audience in a very stern manner, which was probably more effective than uh, the teachers we had to deal with in in that era. So, yeah, so no, did she use your name though, Warren? No, she didn't. Oh, well. she, she she always she did the line of "Don't do that." She, mm. She'd do the monologue and then she'd go, "Don't do that, Johnny," and then she turned to the camera and go. Don't you do that? And that the moment she did that, <laughs> pointed and looked straight down the lens and went, wow. she's scaring me now. Oh, and that was my first, that's my first ten, tangible memory of television. Right. sheer terror. Did you remember it in black and white, or, or is it now sort of become a colour memory if, if you didn't actually have colour television for another couple of years? <laughs> did I colourise my memory? Yeah, well, people do. It's, it's strange, you know. I know it's a strange question, but there we go. No, no, I haven't colorized that one. No, yeah, it's just like to say that whole thing of of the color TV arriving. Is this, can you remember the first thing you saw in color? Oh my word! I think I saw some adverts on. Uh, ah. the yes, uh, it was a Hanna Barbera production, and I can't remember what it was called. I oh, think it quality. might be the hair bear bunch. The hair bear bunch. God, there we go now. <laughs> quality viewing, I can tell you. So you've become a bit of a, a TV. Fan, mm, yeah, you could say that. What, when, when would you say that started? What my collecting? Well, I don't know. I just mean, it would, were you? I mean, were you, uh, were you a, a, like some people? You know, they they play football, they they go out in the park, whatever. Some people just seem to become television fans at a very early age, and I'm just wondering if you, if if what sort of drew you to the magic box in the corner? I think it started off with, and uh, I, I dare say it was probably things like. Blue Peter and Magpie, and children's television on Saturday because you get the immortal lines from your parents that if you watch too too much television, you, you'll get square eyes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> they know not what they do. <laughs> so I think it came more from my rebellious side to say, well, I've been told not to do that, so mm. I'm going to do a lot more of that. Right. So I. So that would be probably about five or six years old being told mm. that. I remember uh, we're going to switch the television and I like grab the television set and say, no, I'm watching whatever I'm watching. Right. And I could be watching Absolute Cobblers. Mm. But I come from the era where television had a rest in the afternoon. Mm. And I'm trying to remember what Absolute Cobblers was. Was that, was that Reg Varney <laughs> as well? <laughs> <laughs> I think at one time, when I, I can remember being really ill and being in pain. I think I might have had bumps. Right. And I couldn't sleep and coming down and watching the Open University. And <laughs> oh. not understanding a word of it. And, you know, my mother coming in and going, why aren't you in bed? It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm in pain. And I'm watching the Open <laughs> University. Well, <laughs> and did you learn anything apart from what, what jackets not to wear? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm never going to wear a roll neck sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to get my hair cut immediately. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I had hair, and it was long. I remember that. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd have been uh, the same sort of thing. You'd have you've had that thing where 
daytime TV. It was before twenty-four hour daytime TV, wasn't it? It was. It was there was the the test card, but there was also the, you know the cricket, but there was also like I say these strange and peculiar uh, things like schools programs and um, and like you say the I university. And if you were ever sick, you always watched Pebble Mill at one. Pebble Mill at one. And uh, then you went into the afternoon programs like General Hospital. Right. Crown Court. Crown Court. Crown Court. Big tick. I remember Crown Court never was off the television. Ah, <laughs> well, well Sunday, Sunday has a friend who was in Crown Court, I believe. Yes, he was a, yeah. uh, he was a kind of guest. He was a, a, a jobbing actor, and he used to turn up at Grada Studios and appear in the, uh, the jury and things like that. And on certain occasions, they would do the... Uh, they would select the jury like they would a real, a real jury. So there yep. were a bunch of people there, and people are, you know, thinking this is my big chance to be in television. And they would be, uh, they would be thrown off the jury or not selected. And they got most upset about this. So our you know, friend of Martin, as Lawrence, used to be volunteer to be that person who could. Uh, oh no, you're not going to be a juror, so you can go and sit somewhere else. Did he still get a fiver every time? Well, oh, he, he wouldn't be doing it for the love. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe they all wore their own outfits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Crown, uh, Crown Court is one of those um, uh, sort of guilty pleasures, isn't it? But uh, looking at what the jury are wearing is a big part of that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, see, I used to, uh, I used to miss. I, I would get. I, I was, I was. I've said this before. I was a latchkey kid, so I would get, um, I would get sent to other people's houses for my lunch because my parents were at work, and I would sit at home watching telly for the rest of the day. But, uh, but, but sometimes the day I had to go to Auntie Ada's or Auntie uh, Hilda's or whatever would uh, would be the middle part of a Crown Court, or, or God help us, the third part of a Crown Court, and that would be a nightmare, I'll tell you. I didn't recognise Lawrence, I never saw him. I mean, it's, yeah, right. I mean it was when I met him, I, I was like, uh, do I know you from Crown Court? That didn't happen. No. I think he used to do hinge and bracket as well. Did he really? Really? Which, which is which? Another thing I don't think is often repeated these days. Huh? No, not but to uh, best, not to the best of my some knowledge. Some people I know are big fans of Hinge and Bracket. <laughs> yes, I, do you know that suddenly popped into my head? Andrew and Lisa are great fans of Hinge and Bracket. <laughs> <laughs> deep down, they want to dress up. As well, indeed, yes, and, and why not? Why not? Well, I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to spend your evening. So, so Warren, you um, were, you, were you a, I mean, were you a big telly watcher, or did it sort of just sort of sort of seep into your into your consciousness? I think it's mainly because I lived in the middle of nowhere. The, right. of, the nearest town from our little countryside village was about twelve, fifteen miles away, and um, when you're a young kid, unless you're out. And there weren't many people in our village, unless you were out about, and then you were watching the telly. Right. There wasn't really much choice you could do. It's yeah. either sort of die of boredom or mm. um, set fire to something mm. or watch the telly. <laughs> and as I didn't have any matches, I thought telly was a better option. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But do you, do you actually have anything that, that, that makes you think, you know, do you, do you like, was there an actor you saw that I thought, oh, I remember seeing him in something else? Or was there a, a moment where you thought, oh, that joins the dots with that one was there any kind of any moment do you feel that you suddenly thought i'm actually a fan of this um it has to be brian Kant, to be honest okay i met brian Kant a few years before he left the world right um but yeah he's sort of child and johnny ball's the other one as well johnny yes. ball's a big thread through my growing up 
and making things interesting for me. Mm. Although he was, was Johnny a teacher? He was a teacher, I believe, wasn't he, at some point? Well, if he wasn't then, he certainly has been since, yeah. And that was the thing. He was he was one of the greatest influences of me actually learning things. Because mm. um, I was finding that my, I, well, I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia then, I am, I am have been in the last 20 years mm. and I could never put my thing I used to think I was thick probably was a little bit really be a country yokel and all that but um, he made um, mathematics and knowledge and the way things work mm. really fascinated and that has always sat in my head right. and it has always worked away so yeah I think he's the main thread I mean because I think the first time I saw him was play school Yes. And then you go on to things like Think of a Number. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think when Think of a Number began. Uh, I'm just trying to think what age you would have been, because that would have been, you know, the way that influences. I mean, if you actually, I mean, was was school just not working particularly well for you? Um, no, I hate school. Right. I hate, school. I hate that regimented burden. I hate it. It was almost parrot fashion yes. as well. And I hated reading out. So I enjoyed things like Jack and Laurie to a certain extent, because I because of my problem reading. We had to read out in class. There's nothing more embarrassing, is there, when it gets to you. Mm. You're going around the desks and you're thinking, I hope the lesson ends before I have to read this paragraph out. And uh, So I, um, I I decided the only way I could get through that was to do voices yes. and give them characterisation. Mm. And, of course, the, the, where I got that from was watching Kenneth Williams on um, Jack and Ori. Of course, yes. So, and, so yeah. that kind of educational aspect i mean you you really wouldn't have done that at school at all you wouldn't have listened to somebody reading a story at school um no we, we i mean we were doing things like um, i can remember when i got to sort, sort of 11 or 12 we were doing the hobbit right and the only thing that made me interested in the hobbit was my teacher okay um, because he would encourage me to do these characterization voices yes, right I, I told him and he said it's quite surprising how television influences the way people uh, children necessarily present themselves in their reading skills and he says it's quite often that people will come back and say well I watched mm. or I listened to The Hobbit on the radio or I watched a production on the TV and I'm mimicking the way they've done it because inside my house, head there's like a, a psyche thing where they've gone well this is the way it should be done yes but saying that, however, my teacher used to smoke a pipe whilst they were reading <laughs> in class. He wore tweed, tweed jackets, you know, tweed jackets, leather. Um, I think, I think, I think he was in all schools. I'm beginning to think this is, this is, this is. This is I think they just cloned him. There's a big central bank of, of uh, I think, ours taught Spanish. <laughs> and he had this gnarled old face. Yes. Uh, a leather face, and he was. You could see him. He from he could be a character from Middle Earth, right. and he relished. He always relished reading um, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings with us. And as soon as we start, if we knew we were reading well, he'd light his pipe. That's the thing about uh, so, you know if someone's actually got an enthusiasm. I mean, I presume he was just a fan of the book. So if someone's got that enthusiasm, they get across, don't they? And, and again, that coming back to uh, what Johnny Ball was doing with his series, that is precisely, and in the same way that sort of Tony Hart did with art as well. You know, you just the enthusiasm was not necessarily just because you could be on telly, but because they were communicating it in an interesting way. You know, 
And the other thing is, everybody became an art critic when they watched that program. Everybody always is. I can promise you that. That never changes. Everybody has an opinion on artwork. I'll tell you that now. Yeah. <laughs> bitter, twisted, bitter, twisted, twisted me. Yes. <laughs> but there we go. And uh, I believe um, you moved into certain areas of fandom as well. So um, how did that come about? Science fiction fandom. I think that's quite easy to do when... Uh, uh, I'm an only child, so... Uh, fantasy. Yeah, imagination. Escapism, yeah. yeah. It, uh, so it's either that or we'll time the, 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 the village best of virgin to mm. the, the, the table and having a sacrifice. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> probably the old village ran out of best of virgin. Or we'll put the telly on, then. <laughs> so I'll put the telly on and watch Doctor Who. Yeah. Were, you, were, you, were, you a, were you a BBC or an ITV child? Generally, I was I was fickle. I was oh. really fickle. Um, it depended what was on. I, there was no there no was loyalty. No, no loyalty. However, I found the BBC a bit snooty. So okay. My little region was I, uh, ITV was Southern Television, mm-hmm. and they were very regional programs, uh, farming and stuff like that. But we have odd characters. I don't know if you um, had them in Granada Land, uh, Jack Hardreaves. Oh, he made it up here. Oh, and he was in Ho, wasn't he? Aye. How do you go to whip it? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a regular thing to go whip it. Oh, is it? Is it, is it you watch Jack Hardreaves? <laughs> you think that um, a friend of mine, Andrew, um, saw uh, a friend of his saw Jack Hargreaves filming and Jack used to do a lot of fishing and that used to pull mm-hmm. the hell out of him when he was on the TV doing mm-hmm. fishing. How'd you gut a trout? <laughs> so there's the famous story of he just used to attach fish to the end of his line, the wings of the line, to make <laughs> it take a couple of lines. Excellent. But um, recently I found his house because his house was up for sale right. uh, in the area that I work in. Has it got a blue plaque? There, there's no plaque but there is his shed because originally his shed was a studio and then it actually moved to being filmed right. where he lived. So, uh, yeah, his, his famous shed is still there where he used to sit there. And Today I'm going to whittle a small cup scout. And, yeah. <laughs> it should be preserved for the nation. Jack Hargreaves' shed. So, but it's, it's weird characters like that that we don't have anymore. No. But TV, TV program, comedy programs work on the premise that uh, a certain generation watches them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the Fast Show, isn't it? That's built on a generation of people from, I'd say, 70s onwards. Yeah, the characters so, yeah. that they would identify, they saw growing up with. It is. It is kind of interesting that the um, the, the it, it, it's it's much. I, mean, I suppose you could say it's slicker now, but it's actually it's a bit like your politicians, isn't it? They're they're professional politicians. That's what they train for. Whereas the characters. I mean, we, again, we find the same thing in in things like cricket commentators. You you get a load of professionals now, and it's not as interesting at all. And someone like Jack Hargreaves wouldn't even make it through the door these days, would he? No, the only reason he actually got on to do the programme is because he, he had uh, major shares in Southern Television. <laughs> <laughs> Always handy. And um, he had this passion for um, for country ways, but mm. he, at that time, had never lived in the countryside. Mm. Um, he was a Second World War um, Royal Naval Officer. Right. And suddenly he retired from that, moved to the countryside and went, 
hmm, I'll invest in this television business, hmm. and, oh, look, they're not doing anything about the countryside. It's hmm. all about big cities and such like, so that's still some regional stuff. Hmm. So, but each, regional was, um, each region was um, unique to itself. For yourselves, um, what was it like for, for where you lived? What the, the diversity of programmes that you what, had? What, Granada land? Grim. <laughs> Grim. I mean, last time I was talking to Sandy, he was talking about growing up in Scotland and, and, and their TV choices were Granada Land. We just, we're grim. That's all we had. Cobbles. Cobbles and whippets. <laughs> I'm going out with my flat cap and me with it. Aye. Yeah, <laughs> and that was just for kids. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we did a lot of uh, folk shows. I think folk was quite popular in the... Uh... Uh, the seventies. This is why Sandy has such a long-suffering <laughs> look on his face. And they, they used to like uh, re- replicate a pub in a TV studio, so it was as if they were uh, sitting in the pub. And of course, it bore no resemblance to every uh, any pub you ever got to go in. Pub you went in. I had uh, three guys in sweaters singing the Wild Rover or something. Like oh, I've been in those pubs, <laughs> and they knitted on themselves. <laughs> Well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much today uh, for that, uh, Warren, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Go, going over some old times. We may, we may come back to you on that another week. Um, you take care, and we'll, we'll speak care. again soon. Uh, brilliant. Right. Well, I will, I will say goodbye, and uh, we shall go and do some more recording. You take care. Take Cheers, Warren. Both of you. Stay safe there. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> And uh, thanks very much to Warren for agreeing to talk to us there. Don't forget, if you feel like sharing a little bit of a chat about your earliest TV memories or anything else about television that you feel you'd like to talk about with us here at Vision on Sound on Fab Radio International, do get in touch and um, we'll add you to the list. And if, and if you're if you're unlucky enough, you might end up being talked to by me on the programme. are entering a realm between image and noise, between video and audio, between sight and listening, a magical realm of imagination, investigation, discovery and kindness, where television of the past becomes the conversation of the present. Congratulations, you've just stepped into Vision on Sound on Fab Radio International. You can contact the program via email on VOS at fabradiointernational.com or at Vision on Sound 1 in Twitworld. Embrace the alternative. I really don't know who that guy is. He keeps turning up every week. Um, gives me the creeps. Never mind. He seems to have a message, so it's probably worth a listen. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's get back uh, to the studio where I was talking to uh, Sandy. And Sandy was just about to drop me a bit of a curveball about... Uh, Ian Cuthbertson. Do you remember uh, a series with Ian Cuthbertson called Charles Endell? Charles Endell Esquire. Yeah. Ruppy pum a ruppy pum The orange juice. <laughs> the thing was, he would drink orange juice. My dad had a real thing about it. They only made about six of them, and he was a sequel yeah. to Budgie, of course. Yes. Fine Scottish actor. <laughs> Yeah. Ian Cuthbertson. Yes, he used to do did quite a lot of stuff off in Scotland. It was you know for the the, the Scottish market mm-hmm. as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, He's yeah. one of the, one of one of the Scottish rep company. Presumably. Yes. So yeah, he did, he did his own 
He's a fabulous actor, though, wasn't he? Really, yeah, well. a really yeah. good voice and a real yeah. presence as yeah, well. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, Charles Endell, I, I do remember. I remember my dad really loved it, and it's one of those shows that again sort of fell off everybody's radar. Sorry, but, sorry I could have I, I jumped from. Uh, Callan to budge the other. No, no, it's not. but there's again the, the I because I, I it's weird actually because I've been watching Edward Woodward in um, nineteen ninety this last few days, yeah. and uh, it is interesting to me that there were these actors that were sort of central in many ways to seventies, particularly sixties seventies drama, yeah. who then kind of fell off the radar. I mean, I don't think yeah. I don't think people forgot Ian Cuthbertson. I don't think people forgot. Edward Woodward, but but they were they were in everything, and then suddenly it stops. Yeah. And um, I don't know, it, it, people just do. They seem to they seem to be the the, the face of the moment. Yes, and then they just aren't. You know, of course, I, I, Edward Woodward went off to uh, America and did The Equalizer. Yeah, which also is a film a film series now with Denzel Washington. So mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, <laughs> the Doom Watch movie. You know, is the Doom Watch movie. Yeah. Ian Ian Bannon. Uh, features in the Doom Watch. Now, Doom Watch is a great series, yeah. actually. I think it's uh, it has its ups and downs, like yeah. many, many shows. Have you ever seen the uh, Sex and Violence banned episode at all of of, of Doom Watch? No, Your Honour. No, no. It's 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 called Sex and Violence. It was yeah. it was banned for various reasons in 1970. Was it Sex and Violence? Weirdly, the, the reasons it was banned were not necessarily that, but it was it was about uh, the, one of the factors in it is there is a character. I always say people should watch this episode just because it's got a character in it who is absolutely the prototype and the playbook of Monsieur Le Farage. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't like to get political, but I think people should watch it to see the game that's been played there. Yeah, moving on. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Doom Watch uh, was made into a, a, a one-off movie, Judy Geeson as well, isn't it? Yeah. and uh, Ian Bannon as the lead, and features the original cast yeah. in a tiny, tiny cameo. It's like, yes, the TV series exists in that two-minute slot in our yeah. movie, but we're going to make this movie now, but, but we're going to use that branding. You know, <laughs> There's a Magic Roundabout movie. Ah, no, there are. There's more than one Magic Roundabout yes, movie. Indeed, that's the point. <laughs> There's Blue Cats. <laughs> yeah, some, somebody told me that, you know, the Magic Roundabout movie was the worst thing he'd ever seen. He'd bought a video of it for a quid. Okay. And I was like, whoa! You know, that was like red, red uh, bill. Yes, we, we're never speaking again. You, how dare you diss the Dougal? Un- unfriend you on Facebook. <laughs> you know. And of course, he was talking about the uh, the live action. Ah. Was it live action? Was it live action? Yeah, animated. Yeah, there was an animated version about five, six years ago, which is kind of... I never saw it. I think it. I, I've seen yeah. bits of it because it turns up uh, on the TV occasionally, and it's like. But it's it's not the the original. I mean, Magic Roundabout is one of those high points. I think of everybody's childhood, really. I mean, yes. when we get back to that, you know. But yeah, D- Dougal and the Blue Cat is a is a thing of <laughs> g- genius, stoned lunacy. <laughs> You can watch it stoned, you can watch it drunk, you can watch it sober, you can watch it with your kids. Emma's dad, you know. I think Magic Roundabout is one of those astonishing... I mean, again, wasn't it made in French for the French market? And, yes. And literally we got the films with no soundtrack yes. and, and just he just did vo- Thompson, yes, just wrote just, stories around yes. what he saw. That's it, you know. Wow. And... And they yeah, bung this on before the news. Yeah, if you 
if you buy the uh, the DVD copy of uh, Magic Roundabout, mm-hmm. then you can actually watch it with, oh, sorry, with Dougal and the Blue Cat. Mm. You can watch it in French. Well, the French original. Yeah, you know, with subtitles. Wow. Don't understand it. But yeah, he, he just said, you know, um, I will make up my own stories. Yeah. And they are... And it's so kind of lucky, really, that things like the the sugar cubes were such running gags in it. Because yeah. you know, next week's episode might have had none of that in it. And we go, oh, yeah. I've just set up this whole thing with the sugar cubes. It's, it, it, it was it was I mean it was it was iconic, wasn't it? Really, yeah. Magic Round. I mean, it went on in front of the news for well, I'd say five six years. Yeah. It seemed to be forever, but maybe maybe that's just. I, and I think I think there were complaints when they tried to move it. Mm. Because adults wanted to watch it as yeah, well. People needed that. I mean, again, other shows came along like Rhubarb and Custard to sort of lead into the news mm-hmm. and, and strange things about flying eggs and things. But anyway, these, these I mean, yeah. in, and the herbs ended up there as well for a while, yeah. I believe. But, uh, but yeah, Magic Roundabout. And of course, famously turned up in The Goodies. Yes. Which, uh, which gives them many brownie points with a lot of people. <laughs> um, there's, there's something else that has just, like, fallen off the, uh, the face of, uh, did it really happen? The goodies. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, the goodies were... I mean, you can get them now, the, the, but they didn't get many repeats. Again, it's one of those things that quite a lot of the, the humour possibly would cause more... Well, not offence. Offence isn't the word, but people yeah. might be uh, more bothered by it. Yeah. You know, than... than, than in, in the modern era, we're so easily offended by stuff, Yeah, actually. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into the defence of of whether or not we should be offended by things, or, you know, because I think we should be offended by things that are offensive, don't yes. get me wrong. I think there's, there's, no, there's no actual sort of excuse for that, and maybe no. they shouldn't have been doing it then, but maybe they didn't know any better. But uh, the, the, a lot of the goodies is very clever and very visual humour. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of think, if they went through it and sifted it, they could probably find 20 or 30 that would still hold up. And, of course, we, we lost Tim this year, the mighty Tim, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. But there are other, there are other I mean, you've got to say, I'm looking at this list of, of things. Starsky and Hutch was made into a, a feature film version, but it's a comedy. Yeah. But then again, they do do cameo. The original actors do yeah. t- at least turn up in it. But but make it as a comedy. You know, same with uh, Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, Beverly Hillbillies was yeah. a comedy, but becomes a very arch comedy. It's like a knowing comedy. And I think yeah. sometimes... That doesn't really help it, you know. But you get the old, the whole Adams Family movies, the Monsters yeah. movies. You know, Thunderbirds turns up as a yeah. as a as a live action movie. You know that that so that's a bizarre one. You know, um, South Park the movie. I mean, that's they, they, yeah. and then the Simpsons movie. You know, I mean, yeah. what do you think of the Simpsons movie? Because you're a big, I know yeah, you're a big Simpsons I think, fan. Yeah, I, th- I think I've, I've probably if I've not watched every single Simpsons episode, mm. I'll have watched like high nineties percent. <laughs> Spider pig, and, spider pig, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of went off towards the end. The, the movie's mm. good, but to me, there is a there's a kind of rhythm mm. to, to the the the, the, the twenty two minutes yeah, or whatever. The twenty two yeah. minutes, mm. and it, I, I think a lot of films find I think the same way when we were talking in, uh, on the other episode about the the feature film versions of the sitcoms. Sitcoms work beautifully in half an hour. Sometimes yeah. three half hours is too much with those characters. You know? Yes, I think I think the the grimness of Steptoe and Son is too much. I tried just I put a tape uh, not a tape <laughs> tape. Oh, oh bless Nobody's age. <laughs> I put a disc in a few few months ago, and I, yeah. I got through three of them. And I thought I can't, I can't take any more. It's, it's, it's horrible. I find step to and some just mm. the, the situation. Mm. 
but funny, and that's the thing, you know. Yeah. Although I must admit, it, it's uh, there's a, there's another um, uh, Galton and Simpson Playhouse seeds, oh, I remember, I remember DVD, yeah. yeah, and and that can be hard a hard watch because again, some of it's not aged well. No. But Steptoe, I think I can watch half an hour and, it, and I can live with it. But and the two of them, I'm thinking, no, I need, I need some fresh air now, you know. And it's, yeah. the, I remember a very long time ago, I went to a party and somebody had on at two in the morning, they taped all of the young ones. This so shows oh, yeah. how long ago it was. And they just, and everyone was a bit drunk and a bit two o'clock in the morning. And he put the young ones on. And most people couldn't take all six in one go. It was just too much, yeah. you know. And this was when we were still young and <laughs> radical, you know. But um, yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 difficult, I think, to 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 know why. Because I don't, I don't. The Simpsons movie feels too long in many ways, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and and you're trying to tell a story that's bigger and broader and yeah. and everything like that. And 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 I mean, they've never done a two. Well, they've, apart from Mr. Burns, Mr. Burns being shot, but, shot, but that was shot. kind of not a two-parter in the same sense. No, that was kind of eight, season eight, end yeah. and, and resume. But uh, they don't. I mean, because I always used to think that you could tell a series was in trouble. And you know, the American shows we used to watch, and then they'd get cancelled. And you think, what happened to my favourite? Mm. The they always seem to start getting to the stage where either they've had the budget cut so they start yeah. doing lots of two-parters to be continued you know yeah. and uh, yeah and maybe maybe that's where we should stop with a to yes. be continued <laughs> that's probably a good place for us to for, to to leave this for today see so we'll be back same time same back channel <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll see if I can find that sting oh, somewhere. The, the worst is yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for that, right. Sandy. Cheers, Martin. We will uh, resume again another day. You take care. Thanks, Martin. Cheers, mate. And thanks very much for being with us on uh, Vision on Sound today. And we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Vision on Sound with me, Martin Holmes, here in the Fab Radio International TARDIS. We'd like to thank everybody here at Fab Radio International. All our guests this week, Sandy in the studio and Warren down the line, and uh, we hope that they've given you something to think about in the last hour. We hope that you'll join us again soon, where we'll explore some more dark corners of the strange televisual universe that we seem to be inhabiting. You take care, have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.